Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Steve, and it's a joy to open God's Word with you today. We are in a series in the book of Matthew, and encourage you to open up to Matthew chapter 9. Today, we will look at verses 18 down through verse 34 of Matthew 9. We've noted this far in our series that Jesus actually has a three-part ministry. He is traveling around preaching. And his message we see in chapter 4, verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is teaching, and we see an example of his teaching in chapters 5 through 7 of the book of Matthew. And he is healing all kinds of diseases and casting out demons. And all of these ministries, his preaching, his teaching, and his healing, aim at one purpose. And that is to show who the Messiah is. That Jesus is the Messiah. And when we use that term Messiah, remember, we're referring to what that Hebrew word means, the anointed one. It goes back, for example, to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Where God promises to David that one of his descendants will sit. On David's throne forever and ever. And will rule over a kingdom of righteousness. That Messiah, that anointed one, will be known as the Son of God. And Matthew is all about showing that Jesus is that Son of God. He is the Messiah, the Christ. Last week in chapter 9, verses 9 through 17, we saw Israel's spiritual leaders missing the point. They actually missed the purpose for Jesus' ministry. Because they did not understand that Jesus came to save sinners. And one of the main reasons why they didn't understand that is that they did not understand that they themselves were sinners. That they too needed a savior. Well today in verses 18 through 34, we once again are going to see some of Jesus' great miraculous works. We'll see him heal a woman who is suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years. We'll see Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. We'll see him cast out a demon from a man that will allow that man to once again speak. And we'll see Jesus give sight to two blind men. All showing his authority as the son of God. We're also going to see some irony Because we will actually see two groups of people. One group will be physically blind. But will have spiritual sight. The other group will be spiritually blind. And they will refuse to see. I'm going to read the verses out loud. You can follow along in your copy of the Bible. And look for those who are physically blind. But have spiritual sight. 
And look at the end for those who are spiritually blind, who refuse to see. While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him. And said, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and began to follow him and so did his disciples. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once the woman was made well. When Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, he said, Leave, for the girl has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. The news spread throughout all that land. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all that land. As they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds were amazed and were saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. Two types of people. Some physically blind but have spiritual sight. The others spiritually blind who refuse to see. From 1996 to 2005, there was a sitcom made that many in this room would have watched called Everybody Loves Raymond. Ray Romano and Patricia Heaton starred in this long-running series. And during its seventh year, episode 22, there was this episode called... Baggage. Oh, it was one of my favorites. In fact, episode 22 of season 7 is the fourth most popular episode of the entire series. In it, Ray and Deborah get home late at night from a long trip. They are so exhausted they cannot even get their suitcase upstairs. So they just enter the house, lay the suitcase down on the landing at the bottom of the stairs and somehow pull themselves upstairs to go to sleep. The next day, both Raymond and Deborah think it should be the other person's responsibility to take the suitcase upstairs. Raymond thinks, well... She's home all day. She's a stay-at-home mom. She's got plenty of time to take that suitcase upstairs and get all the clothing out and wash it. She's thinking, 
He's got, he's the man. He's strong. He should take, he should take responsibility in this house and take that suitcase upstairs. Both of them think the other should do it. So neither of them do it. And for three weeks, they walk past the suitcase, refusing to see it. Deborah thinks, well, he's going to have to take it upstairs because most of his clothes are inside of the suitcase. He's going to have to take it upstairs so he has something to wear. Only to realize that he's wearing the clothes that were inside the suitcase. He's been sneaking them out of the suitcase. Makes her really mad, but she refuses to acknowledge that it's there. He refuses to acknowledge that it's there. Three weeks. Well, she realizes that this is finally going to come to an end because Ray has another trip coming up. He's going to have to get that suitcase upstairs empty completely out so he can pack for his next trip only to have him come bounding down the stairs on the morning of his trip with a little plastic grocery sack with his clothes inside. (laughs) And when she wasn't looking, he sticks a big piece of stinky cheese in the suitcase and leaves on his trip. Great episode. So close to life. Two people refusing to see. And one of the things that we'll see in this passage today is that there's actually two groups of people. Some who are physically blind but have spiritual sight. Others who are spiritually blind who refuse to see. As this passage opens, we see in verses 18 through 33, Jesus once again demonstrating his power and his authority. He has power and authority over death, power and authority over darkness. And some recognize that he is indeed the Messiah. We'll see in verses 18 and 19 and verses 23 through 26 the account of a young girl being raised from the dead. We'll see in verses 20 and 20 through 22 this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years healed instantly. We see in verses 27 through 30 the two blind men who are given sight and we'll see in verses 32 and 33 this demon possessed man have his demon cast out so that he once again can speak. All of these showing Jesus' authority over death and darkness. Verse 18 says, when he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came. Now we know from Mark and from Luke in their gospel records that this man's name is Jairus. We also know from Luke chapter 8 verse 42... That Jairus has a 12 year old daughter. And here it tells us that Jairus the synagogue official came. Bowed down before Jesus and this is what he says. My daughter has just died. But come lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus gets up and starts to follow. As they are en route to 
Jairus' house so that Jesus can raise this 12-year-old girl from the dead. Jesus is walking and there's crowds all around him. There's people pushing up against him. And he senses a touch. In fact, a woman reaches out and touches the bottom of his outer coat. A woman who'd been suffering, verse 20, from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak for she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will get well. Now we know from the book of Leviticus chapter 15 verses 25 uh, and through 41 that if she would have had this continual bleeding, she would not have been eligible to go to worship. She could not have, she would have been considered ceremonially unclean. She could not go to the outer courts of the temple and join in singing praises to God and singing psalms and join in the communal meal and see the offerings made for sin. She would not have even been able to fellowship in that, that corporate way. Twelve years. She's desperate. She's saddened. And she reaches out and it tells us she touches the fringe of his cloak. Literally that Greek word can either mean that outer hem or it can mean the word tassel. The word is used in Matthew chapter 23 verse 5 to refer to the tassel. And we know from the book of Numbers chapter 15 verses 37 through 41 and Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 12 that an Israelite man was bound to, to, was required to wear four tassels, one on the each corner of his cloak to remind that man to obey God. Jesus, being a Jewish man, would have had those four tassels. Most likely, this man, this woman reached out and touched one of those tassels on the corner of Jesus' cloak. He sensed it. And he turns around and says to the woman, daughter, take courage, courage, your faith has made you well. One man, Jairus, believes in the person of Jesus Christ and believes that Jesus can actually raise his deceased daughter from the dead. This woman believes in the person of Jesus Christ and believes that if she just touches that tassel on the bottom of his cloak, that she will be healed. And then we come to this account of the two blind men following after Jesus and they're, they're crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. Now that's significant because that means that these two men who are physically blind have spiritual insight because they recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. They recognize his person. Remember Matthew's purpose, one of his major purposes in his account, gospel account is to show that Jesus is the Messiah. Clear back in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, in Jesus' genealogy, it says the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here, this is the first time that someone addresses Jesus with that title, actually calling him son of David. 
It happens again in chapter 15, verse 22, chapter 20, verse 30, chapter 21, verses 9 through 15, and chapter 22, verse 42. Here's the first time. And by calling Jesus, son of David, these two blind men are recognizing, they're acknowledging, you are the Messiah. Now that seems strange. How could they have such insight? But we need to remember that at this time in Palestine, people were looking for the Messiah. Everybody was looking for Messiah. In fact, we know from the Gospel of John in chapter 4 verse 25 when Jesus goes to the Samaritan woman at the well. And remember, Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans as, as, as being second rate. They were not pure Jews. They had intermarried with non-Jewish peoples. They would have been looked down upon. They had uh, taken the Jewish religion and had uh, syncretized it, added other things to it. They were looked down on. And this woman who Jesus talks to that a Jew would not normally even speak to says this in verse 25. I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. See, even that Samaritan woman knew about Messiah. And here are these two blind men, physically blind but with spiritual insight, recognize that Jesus is indeed Messiah. The Old Testament tells us that when Messiah comes, he will do works like these men have been hearing that he's been doing. For example, in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 through 6, we read this. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The, lay, the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. You see, the Old Testament clearly says that when Messiah comes, he will be doing these great works. And these two blind men recognize it. In fact, Jesus sees their faith. Jesus recognizes that they are acknowledging that he is Messiah. And so Jesus says to them in verse 28, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, it shall be done to you according to your faith. And the next verse says, their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warns them, don't go be talking about this. Remember, Jesus is following the Father's will. And Jesus knows that as his popularity grows, Israel's leader's opposition will grow more intense to a point that he ends up on the cross. And Jesus is following the Father's timeline. Of course, the men are so excited about Jesus, they just go out and tell people. And it tells us in verse 31, they went out and spread the news about him throughout all that land. Jesus and the disciples go on, and then they're approached by a demon-possessed man. Who, the demon inside of him is not allowing him to speak. And Jesus casts out that demon, and the man is able to speak. And it tells us in verse 20, or 33, the crowds were amazed and were saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. 
Now, remember when we talked about the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that we noted that each gospel writer chooses material to include in their gospel. They don't include everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus said. John says if they did that, there'd be so many books, it'd fill up the whole world. So they include accounts of Jesus for a purpose under the leading of the Spirit of God. It's no mistake that up to this point, Matthew has included the accounts that he has. The blind be given sight, the deaf be given hearing, the uh, demon possessed having the demons cast out. And one of the main reasons we see Matthew's account and including these miracles is coming up soon in the first part of Matthew 11 when John the Baptist sends a messenger to Jesus asking if he's the Christ. And in verse 2 of John 11, we read this. Now when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one? Meaning, are you the Messiah? Or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. You see, all of these miracles that Jesus has been doing are proving that he is Messiah, the Son of God, the Christ. Why do you think these two blind men, physically blind... Why do you think they were able to recognize that Jesus is Messiah? How do they have the spiritual perception to be able to recognize that he is indeed the son of David? The Bible answers that question in several places. And what the Bible tells us is that none of us in and of ourselves have spiritual perception on our own. None of us seek after God, according to Romans 3. And the Apostle Paul makes that clear in Romans 3. And Matthew even gives us an account of that a little later in Matthew 16. And in Matthew 16, starting to read in verse 13, we read this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. You see, in order for someone to have spiritual perception, God gives it. 
We know from the Gospel of John in chapter 16, verse 8, that one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to do God's work in people's hearts and minds so that they can understand who Jesus is and our need for Jesus. And in John chapter 16, verse 8, it says, and he, referring to the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, it's the Spirit of God that does a work and did a work in my heart. If you are here and you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, he did a work in your heart. He helps people see that we're sinners. He helps people see that I cannot do enough good things to somehow earn merit with God. He helps people see and understand that Jesus is God, that Jesus died on the cross to pay for all of our sin and rose again from the dead. It's the spirit of God that does that work. There is no room for spiritual pride on the part of a Christian. There's no place for us to say, well, at least I was smart enough to put my faith in Jesus. No, none of us would have put our faith in Jesus apart from God showing us who Jesus is. God, in his mercy and his grace, brings conviction by his spirit to the hearts of people. It's his work. You know, it's interesting as we look at these different categories of miracles here. Notice that every person who has this spiritual insight is hurting. They're hurting. Jairus' 12-year-old daughter has just passed away. This woman has had this bleeding for 12 years. Hasn't been able to fellowship with the rest of the congregation. The two men who called Jesus son of David are physically blind. Everyone here is hurting. And there are times when God will bring hurting people into your life. And when that happens, it's important for us to have our antennae up. Because oftentimes, God chooses times of hurt to do a work in people's hearts and minds to help them see their need for Jesus Christ. I bet you've experienced the same thing that I have. When people are hurting, I can never remember a time when someone, when I've asked them, can I pray for you, that someone has told me no. Not once. Even a person who doesn't believe in God, I've had, will still say that I can pray for them. People react weird around me because I'm a preacher. It's, it's actually kind of funny. You run into somebody at the grocery store and maybe they haven't been to church for a little while and, you know, they kind of want to duck and then, and then they kind of get tongue tied and it's like, oh dude, just relax. I'm just Steve, you know. I know you've had stuff going on. Just don't worry about it. People react weird when you're a preacher. But I've never had somebody who's hurting 
say no to me when I've said, hey, can I just pray for you? I remember one day I was at my Rotary Club and I was just coming out of our session and and there's a young guy in my Rotary Club whose sister had just been diagnosed with aggressive cancer. And my wife had, had went through cancer and it wasn't too long after Barbara had gone through her cancer treatment and I just went up to this young guy and I kind of put my arm around his back and said, hey, can I just pray for you? And we just sat out there, you know, stood out there on the parking lot and we just prayed. The opportunity to shine our light for Jesus with hurting people. Because God oftentimes uses times of hurt to awaken a spiritual insight through the spirit of God's work in people's lives. We are really close to spring. Oh, I can just taste it, can't you? I can just taste it. We're so close. We are so close to not having to sweep our garage out every other day because of all the sand we're bringing in. We are so close to not have to figure out how many layers of clothes we have to put on. We are so close to being able to turn off the furnace and open up the windows at night and have that Breeze, come in and listen to the night sounds as we sleep. We're so close. We're so close to be able to sit out on the deck with a cup of iced tea and just be. We're so close. And one of my favorite things to do in the summertime is after dark, go sit out on the deck and watch the lightning bugs. Don't you just love lightning bugs? They're great. I mean, they're like little miracles. I, I, who can, ex- maybe some of you can, but I can't explain a lightning bug. I used to, as a kid, used to collect them in jars and bring them into the house. It's amazing. Just one little lightning bug. You're sitting out there in the dark and you see a lightning bug and it just demands all of your attention. Look, there's a lightning bug. Just that little tiny light. And you know, sometimes in times of darkness, when people are going through darkness, it just takes a little bit of light to be a testimony for the person of Jesus Christ. Just a little bit of light to be a witness for Jesus. Even as simple as just putting your arm around somebody and saying, hey, can I just pray for you? You can open up a door for spiritual conversation. All of these people in this section are hurting. And sometimes God uses times of hurt to get people's attention. Well, it's interesting to see these ones here who have Physical blindness, but spiritual sight. Only to see the irony of it all. In the very last verse of the section. To see these ones who are spiritually blind. Who refuse to see. 
And they're the ones with all the information. The Pharisees are the ones that have the copies of the Old Testament scriptures at their fingertips. They know the scriptures. It's just like they see the suitcase and they're just choosing to walk by. I don't want to see it. This last verse is really interesting. I'll read it out loud. But the Pharisees were saying, he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. There's something really interesting about this verse, and here it is. The Pharisees are actually validating Jesus' ministry. They're actually validating that Jesus did these things. They can't deny it. So instead of trying to deny that Jesus did it, they're admitting it. They're admitting that he did these great works. It's just that he did them by the power of the ruler of the demons. Now this attack's going to keep coming. And we'll see in chapter 12, Jesus is going to say that's a ludicrous argument because that means that the ruler of the demons, Satan, would be attacking himself. But it's interesting that these ones who are spiritually blind refuse to see. And in their refusal, they actually affirm that Jesus did these things. We've been having a little debate at our house about cookies. It's a good thing to debate. About a week and a half ago, One of the grocery stores in town had all of their Oreos on sale for $1 a package. Now that's a deal. And my wife said, we have to get to the store because we've got to buy Oreos, quote unquote, because the kids are coming home. (laughs) Let's blame it on the adult kids. The kids are coming home. We've got to go buy Oreos. They're a dollar a package. Do you know how many varieties of Oreos there are right now? There's a ton. I bet there's eight or ten different choices in the Oreo aisle. A dollar each. Now, I had to add some verbiage into this conversation. And so my premise statement is, Barbara, it is impossible to have a store-bought cookie that's even close to the quality and the taste and enjoyment of a homemade cookie. We don't need those store-bought cookies. Let's just make cookies. It's impossible to have a store-bought cookie as good as yours. Which I still think is true, but we still bought the Orioles. (laughs) Now, there's one exception to my argument And that is the infamous Fig Newton. I like Fig Newtons. In fact, we have a little secret tote at our house. We keep it away from the adult children. And in that tote, which is hidden in a coat closet, are treats. And the other night I said to Barbara, maybe it's because we had all this cookie conversation. Don't we have some Fig Newtons? And she said, well, we actually do. And said she, she said, in fact, we have two kinds. We have 
Benton's brand Fig Newtons from Aldi, and we have Trader Joe's brand of Fig Newtons. Which do you want? And I said, well, let's take the package that has the closest date on it. That's rational, right? So she comes down, and to our horror, the Benton's Fig Newtons had actually expired recently. So, not to be ever accused of wastefulness, I decided to take it upon myself to try to consume them quickly. (laughs) So, I grabbed... A small stack of Fig Newtons and proceeded to consume them out of a sense of family duty and fiscal responsibility. (laughs) After I'd eaten the aforementioned stack of Fig Newtons, I decided to look at the nutritional information on the back of the box. Big mistake. Do you know that in just two, these Fig Newtons are little, just two little tiny Fig Newtons, there are 20 grams of carbs in just two Fig Newtons? I did not want to know that, and fortunately, I did my eating early, because I really didn't want to see that. I really didn't want to know, even though it was right there. I chose to push that information away. And these Pharisees who are physically able to see but spiritually blind are pushing away the information about the Messiah. They are choosing not to see. Now why is that? If, if, if God, by his Holy Spirit, does a work in our lives so that we can see our need for the Savior, how is it then that someone can remain spiritually blind? Is that God's fault? No way. Because the Bible teaches that people choose to push away the knowledge of God. People choose to walk by that spiritual suitcase. And we see that clearly spelled out for us in the book of Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and following. Paul says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world is invisible attributes is eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse Paul says we should be able to just look at God's creative work and say there's God look at the intricacy of his creation there has to be God but even that revelation of God to humanity people choose to push it away it's not God's fault We choose to suppress truth. Next week, we're going to look at what God calls us to do 
to be light in a world where people are suppressing truth. Do I have any reason for spiritual pride in my life? Like, man, at least I put my trust in Jesus. I don't know why these people over here have it. No way. Because it's only by God's grace and mercy that I or you came to faith in Jesus. As Jesus said to Peter, you humans didn't show this to you. God showed it to you out of his grace and mercy. Isn't it interesting that the physically blind have spiritual sight and the spiritually blind refuse to see? And yet, each and every one of us at one point in time have been spiritually blind. important for us to keep our antennae up because sometimes God chooses those times of hurt and pain as opportunities for us to shine our light for Jesus so that people can see Jesus and understand what Jesus has done by dying on the cross for us. You may be here today and you're not sure if you're right with God or not. You don't know if you've ever put your trust in Christ or not. One of our leaders here at Faith Bible Church, one of our elders, will be back in our prayer room immediately behind us. And we've got some material we'd love to put in your hands, or maybe you want to get it for a friend to give to them. Or that you can just take out your Bible and look up passages of scripture that show you how you can be right with God. Jesus shows his power over death and darkness. But at the moment... There may be people in your web of relationship who are spiritually blind. Next week we'll talk about God's call on you and God's call on me to bring light to those who are currently spiritually blind. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love in giving us a savior, Jesus. Who revealed you in himself. We thank you for the joy of knowing that our sin is forgiven. Through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. The son of God. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.